Buckle up, the Chiefs are finally back, and so is Week in Review, our Metro's most impactful, confusing, and befuddling local news stories, dissected straight ahead. Week in Review is made possible through the generous support of AARP Kansas City, RSM, Dave and Jamie Cummings, Bob and Marlise Gorley, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize and Bank of America N.A., co-trustees, the restaurant at 1900, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Hello and welcome, I'm Nick Haynes. In less time than it takes to deliver a pizza to your home, we slice and dice all the top stories making news in this place we call home, lifting the hood on our Metro's headlines from KMBC 9 TV news anchor Chris Ketz from our Metro's newest newspaper, Next Page KC, Eric Wesson, KCUR investigative reporter Peggy Lowe and former Kansas City Star news hound Dave Helling. Now, while there were more stories this week about Travis Kelsey's knee than pretty much any other news topic, there were some other big local happenings worth keeping an eye on. Was it a wrongful conviction or a just sentence? It's been nearly two years since Detective Eric DeValconia became the first Kansas City police officer to be convicted of killing a black man. But is his manslaughter conviction and six-year prison sentence about to be overturned? This week, the Missouri Court of Appeals revisiting the case while protesters took to the streets outside. Here's a guy that murdered my son, and you're going to let him go. We say black lives matter, equal justice matters. Because I guarantee you, if there was someone that looked like me or you, we would be in jail already. DeValconia was sentenced and convicted of manslaughter in the shooting death of Cameron Lamb in 2019. The former officer's defense team arguing this week there were nearly a dozen legal errors at his trial and pointed to video evidence of Lamb committing multiple traffic crimes, giving ample justification for the KCPT detective to come to Lamb's home on that fatal day. But help us understand, why was this such a big story warranting wall-to-wall local news coverage this week? If you don't closely follow what's happening in the news, Peggy, can you explain why this story is grabbing so much attention. This story is fascinating because it's not just a legal story, it's not just a civil rights story, it's a political story. And the fact that the Attorney General jumped in, Andrew Bailey, and became part of the team defending DeValconair, that has never happened. And uh, Gene Peters Baker, the Jackson County prosecutor, suggests that he's doing that for political reasons. Part of it is that his primary next year, he will face a very conservative candidate. So he has to really show his conservative bona fides. There's also concern, of course, about what the implications of this case are, Eric, and if this conviction is overturned, what might happen then? Uh, it would definitely be a black eye to justice. Uh, and one of the things that I want to add to what Peggy said, the attorney general that's representing the case on behalf of the state was the same assistant attorney general that Gene Peters Baker and the prosecutors used to put together the case in the first place. So he helped them guide the process. Now he's saying that there were errors. Well, if you helped them put it together, wasn't it errors in the first place? So it's become really political, and it would be a... a miscarriage of justice to say, okay, you can follow somebody into their driveway and then shoot them and then allege that you see a gun. I know you say that, but there are two sides to a different story. And didn't the defense lay out a very uh, thorough case here saying there were 13 separate traffic violations 
that Cameron Lamb was involved in on that day, including driving 90 miles per hour, overtaking a vehicle, going through a driver's, uh, going through a red light, moving into traffic both ways. But they stopped pursuing him. They stopped pursuing him. So if it was that serious, then why weren't the original officers there to do it rather than them picking up the radio uh, transmission and then pulling him over and shooting him and killing him. In the tone, the words, what the Missouri Court of Appeals this week, did we get any hints as to how they were leaning in this case, Chris? I don't know that we did, but um, just touching on what Peggy mentioned about the, the political aspects of the story, there continues to be questions about the governor's role in a, any sort of a possible pardon moving ahead. Um, Steve Kraske on, um, on Up to Date on KCUR had, a, had a, a, an interesting interview with the governor just uh, the other day. And Governor Parson, I think, made it clear that he says that there's, there's been no sort of discussion about a possible pardon in his office, at least up to now. And he's on the record once again as saying that uh, he's not going to get involved in this. Um, he's going to let the courts do what they have to do before uh, considering anything uh, moving forward. Peggy, well, so what happens now? Is this going to linger on for a while? Could we expect a decision imminently? It will absolutely linger on for a while. The court has 90 days to make their ruling. But I want to add, too, from your question here to Chris, the judges were rather skeptical. I was there. And um, they poked holes in every single piece of defense that DeValconeer's lawyers came up with and the AGs came up with. So I think we're going to see a really reasoned reply from from them, and I think that'll be really interesting, and we'll have it by the end of the year. Keep in mind, Nick, that uh, Eric DeVolcanier was tried by a judge, not a jury, and it was his choice. And uh, uh, courts of appeal are loath to overturn uh, decisions made by judges unless there is evidence of clear error on the facts or the law. And as muddy as this situation is, it's hard to see how the Court of Appeals would proceed and in essence tell a judge, no, you made the wrong decision in this case. The politics really come in if the governor is asked to pardon Eric DeVolcanier because that really does become an issue. Uh, the FOP, the Kansas City FOP, is very powerful in Jefferson City, and my guess is they're talking to legislators who are then talking to the governor. That will be an issue once the legal process plays itself out. And Eric DeVolcania has not served a day in jail because he, until this is settled, he's still free. He is still a free man, and Cameron Lamb's family likes to say he got to pick that bench trial. There is no mugshot. He has not spent a night in jail, and he remains free. So they're wondering, what does justice look like here? No fingerprints, no anything that normal people would have to go through in this same process unless you're the president of the United States. The Kansas City, well, he did have a mugshot. The Kansas City Country Club Plaza is supposed to be partying. It's a milestone year. It's the shopping center's 100th anniversary. So how come the headlines seem to be anything but celebratory? This weekend, there was another shooting on the plaza, the second in 10 days, this time just outside of Shake Shack, which is already closed to indoor dining in the evenings due to threats of violence. And if seeing a sea of police cars on the plaza wasn't enough of a PR nightmare, the shopping center's owners are now in financial distress, defaulting on a nearly $300 million loan used to purchase the property. So last week's conversation about pedestrianizing the plaza may seem, Chris, to be something like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. How worried should we be about the plaza's future? In the 40 years that I've been in Kansas City, the plaza remains one of Kansas City's crown jewels. But I never thought I'd see the day 
where I would hear people considering a Friday or Saturday evening out, look at the plaza and say, I feel safer going somewhere else. And that's a narrative that, that needs to be changed for the future of the plaza. Now, in terms of retail, certainly that landscape has changed, especially post-pandemic, and, and there are problems as a result. Um, as our friend uh, Kevin Collison reported this past week, there are some who see this default as perhaps an opportunity for new and perhaps committed management to come in and point the plaza in a better direction. I would argue that whatever that better direction is, it should happen soon. It was interesting this week, even on your own uh, newscasts on Channel 9, we had uh, owners of stores on the plaza saying, if you're coming here, you should have your head on a swivel, be aware of what you're happening. That's a huge change in tone, Eric. Um, uh, the, that must be a huge PR disaster for the owners of the plaza. Absolutely. And it's, it gives the community a black eye as well. Uh, using that term again, because what alternatives do young people have since your so-called night hoops is closed and the activities you have for young people are closed, they have no place else to go but to hang out on the plaza. So what is the plan to keep them off of the plaza and give them something else to do? That's the next question. There were actually, though, four killings on this Labor Day weekend in Kansas City. Remember, this was just a uh, non-life-threatening injury on the plaza outside of Shake Shack. Are we overemphasizing the plaza when we think about all of the other crime issues, and yet this gets so much attention? Is that because it's mainly white and affluent shoppers going to that area? Of course it is. Of course it is. And I've only been here 12 years compared to your 40. But <laughs> um, I see this every single summer. Oh my heavens, people are shot on the plaza. Well, people are shot all over town here. And I just checked the, the blue sheet, the crime stats that KCPD keeps before I came. We're at 138 homicides so far this year. The record was set in 2020 and it was 139. So we are one homicide away from a record. Is there a problem with the plaza? Yes, there is. Is it a chronic problem? Yes, it is. But this is a chronic problem for the entire city. I would add only that uh, the crime problem aside, the plaza's mix of entertainment and retail has been under pressure for years, and we've talked about that on this show, that a lot of people think, you know, what the plaza needs to do is become an entertainment venue, a restaurant, and that shops, retail is really under pressure. The problem is Kansas City has lots of places now where you can go downtown included for that type of uh, service, entertainment, place to eat, place to have a drink, that type of thing. So whoever owns the plaza, the, the current owners or someone who may buy it in distress, they're gonna have to figure out that puzzle with the background of the crime problem, yeah. that's a, that's but, but, but a tough Chris mentions that there is a local ownership team, perhaps in the wings. That was from Kevin Collison, City Scene KC, right. talking about that behind the scenes already happening. But what difference would that make? Well, that's the point, that you might get local owners who are ready to invest more money uh, into unique shops and businesses. You know, the Cheesecake Factory, Nick, you, you don't have to go to the plaza to eat there. You can go to, uh, there are other cheese cake factories across the metro area. So I think there is some chat that what the plaza needs to be is uniquely Kansas City in terms of its offerings, rather than just sort more chain stores and restaurants. No, it won't make a difference because you still have the same mentality. You still have the same issues with young people because 
All these issues are taking place with young people. Even if you look at the homicide statistics, I think I looked at them yesterday, 95 of the city's 138 homicides yesterday, 95 of them are black males. What's the fix then? What's the fix is to find some meaningful uh, alternatives for young people to do rather than hang out. You know, back in the day when we were growing up, you had skating rinks, you had bowling alleys, you had a lot of things for young people to do. You had parents that knew how to parent. Now you have kids raising other kids. So you have a lot of cultural issues there. There are a lot of issues going on in the household, but you have to have alternatives for these so young people. So a change of management of the plaza, pedestrianizing the plaza is not go going to do some that. Place, people someplace else to fall when they're shot. As the Kendall Club Plaza marks its 100th anniversary, Kansas is celebrating one year since the start of sports betting in the Sunflower State. Remember those scenes of Governor Laura Kelly waving that first bet for the Kansas City Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. Interestingly, the numbers are also in, and Kansans waged more than $1.6 billion on sports games. So is the state now flush with cash? Hold on to your hat. According to the latest figures, the state only brought in $5.8 million over the last 12 months. Is there some mistake here? This was on Channel 9. That, is that, that's just one third of 1%. Uh, can that be right? It can be, and, and I'm, I'm reminded a little bit of um, when Riverboat Gaming was sold in the state of Missouri, and it was sold, and, and a lot of people thought that it would somehow, some way, wave a magic wand and make all of the funding challenges for public education in Missouri go away. But if you ask uh, uh, school district officials throughout the state, they'll tell you they welcome those dollars, but they didn't make those funding issues go away. Six million dollars is not chump change, but but it, you know the idea that we're going to use that in Kansas to lure the Chiefs over to <laughs> yeah. the, to that side of the state line seems rather problematic at this point. Because they talked about that's where the money was going to go to try and lure a professional sports franchise. What does 5.8 million dollars buy if it's not the Chiefs or the Royals? Perhaps a professional darts team, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, it's not going to get you much of a professional team. It's not. Uh, well, I mean, can I just say quickly? So, you need about 45 million a year to do what the Chiefs want or the Royals want. 45, 50 million dollars a year over 30 years. Six million is part of that, but it's not all of it or even close to all of it. That's what I think the problem yeah. is. And even with all that, Missouri is still trying to do this and has failed to do so thus far. That's right. And I feel like we're back in that day. I mean, to go back to the showboat issue, remember when they brought lottery on and it was going to save schools and it was going to build parks and it was going to save America? I don't see that it has. So whether sports betting will do that is is uh, anybody's guess. You might pay for some concession stands, <laughs> but that's about it. <laughs> we're now officially into the month of September, which means we are just days away from knowing where the Kansas City Royals plan to make their new home. In advance of that imminent decision, did you see a new ad campaign is now launched to convince the Royals and Clay County voters that North Kansas City is the best site. Let's go Royals to North Kansas City. Clay County is on the move. We're a major league county, and this is our opportunity to get our fair share. The Royals will spend $1 billion of private money on the project, helping schools, preserving local businesses, building a true neighborhood ballpark with ample parking and tailgate opportunities. Let's go Royals to North Kansas City. 
What influence, if any, is this new ad campaign having in changing any minds, not the least of it, the ownership group of the Kansas City Royals, Chris? I don't know that it has much of an impact uh, uh, either way. But, um, you know, I think we all started this process thinking that downtown was was plan A and anything else after that would be plan B. But I, I just I have this feeling the longer this thing drags out, uh, maybe plan B is, <laughs> is what they will do eventually. Don't you think all the energy, though, seems to be on the North Kansas City side? They're the ones who really want it. And yet we have Kansas City, Jackson County officials always seem to be a little bit uh, skeptical or they don't have the information or they're still a little worried. Uh, isn't all the enthusiasm on that North Kansas City side? And it is. And from uh, little birdies that I've talked to, they said that uh, the people in the Northland have a lot of money on the table in Kansas City and hadn't really matched that money, but it's still going to go to whether voters in that area are going to vote for a one cent uh, increase in sales tax. And I think right there, that's going to be the dividing issue. But it's going to be interesting to watch. You got the leadership. I think that uh, the mayor and the county executive should have been on the same page with this to make this thing happen for Kansas City. And I don't think we're really seeing that. We just saw the ad for North Kansas City. Where are the ads for build downtown, build downtown? Well, let's connect a few dots here, Nick, okay. if we could. One of the, one of the uh, prime movers in the North Kansas City side is the family of Michael Merriman, the Merriman family as a group. They own a lot of the property there. The Merrimans were heavily involved in the original plan for Kansas City International Airport, if you recall. They were the folks that were going to privately finance the airport bonds. Uh, they were then part of the campaign, which you'll recall with George Brett, hometown team, Burns and McDonald, very similar to what you're seeing here, all connected to uh, Jeff Rowe's firm, Axiom Strategies up north. Will it work? You know, it, Axiom also ran the translational health tax campaign in Jackson County, which lost by 70 points. I think that the owner of the team, John Sherman, has always said, I want it downtown. So I think that that's the, the bet right there. I mean, I would go with what John Sherman wants. That said, I would not bet against Jeff Rowe. I mean, he's a very successful political operative, despite the yeah. last campaign that he did. I will also say, if you look at the drawings, the one in North Kansas City is gorgeous. It has a huge acreage and campus plan, and it's, it has tons of fountains. It's actually prettier than the one they want to put downtown. Eric mentioned that um, the mayor and the Jackson County Executive Frank White were not on the same page on this, which is complicating the effort. And speaking of that sort of cooperation or doing what's best for the entire area, did you see that Mayor Lucas just announced? He is calling off negotiations with Jackson County and is now going to build Kansas City its own separate jail. So in other words, there's going to be soon to be two brand new detention facilities, Peggy, just a few miles from one another. What does that mean for taxpayers? For taxpayers, they're probably going to be spending more, you know, so we can't get along county and city executives. So we're going to build two jails, not just one. And jails are a hard sell with, you know, taxpayers anyway. So it does seem sort of remarkable. That said, this has been a huge soap opera at City Hall and in the county legislature. It's, it's also striking, Dave, that it, there was a time, of course, we were celebrating Wyandotte County in Kansas City, Kansas, and the consolidation of government. And we were thinking, wow, this was going to spread around our metro that we can uh, you know, avoid duplicative services. And yet that, 
that fever towards consolidation clearly has never happened, yeah. this would have been a place to do it. Yeah, and actually there's been discussions over the years of Kansas City becoming its own entity outside of Jackson County for a number of reasons that they never really went anywhere. Um, it, it isn't clear how much savings would have come had the two entities here, the city and the county, gotten together on the jail because the city was always going to build its own beds. They were just going to share kitchen facilities and administrative rooms. And so it, how much savings was involved for either side is not completely clear. What is clear is that Kansas City and Jackson County do not get along across 12th Street. And that has ramifications for the stadiums and a bunch of other things as well. But it's not just the cost of building the jail. You got staffing issues that you're gonna to have to deal with mm -hmm. now. So the city's gonna be competing with the county. But you were gonna to have to do that anyway. I mean, that, but, you were gonna have another 100, 200 beds. You had to have guards. I mean, that they were in essence separate facilities with shared common areas. Okay, so if they were there in the same complex, then you had guards that go from one side of the building to the other. That would have happened though. Because, they're, because, because because they're different kinds of prisoners. But, okay, okay, let Eric but, finish here. But when the, trans, the transition comes from you're in the city jail, you have to go to the county jail. So you've got transportation issues that you're going to have now because the buildings were going to be almost next to each other. They could have walked them over there versus having to drive away across In other words, the this is a complicated issue, Eric. <laughs> yes, but I'm on that committee to... Uh, to see alternatives to incarceration and how many bed spaces the city needed. And we've been meeting for about the past two months on it, and we still have other meetings to go, and now the mayor decides that he wants to well, what, build what his the own city, jail. What does the city cut in its services? What do they raise in taxes to be able to fund a new jail? It, it's gonna be a considerable amount of money. When you put a program like this together every week, you can't get to every story grabbing the headlines. What was the big local story we missed? The Chiefs make their long-awaited return, and a hyper-extended knee becomes one of the most searched Google terms in Kansas City. It's a big weekend at the Kansas Speedway as the NASCAR playoffs bring national TV coverage to our metro. The Guinness Book of World Records in town as a 100-hour baseball game breaks the world record in North Kansas City, and all for charity. Speaking of baseball, former Royals manager Ned Yost inducted into the Hall of Fame at Kauffman Stadium. That was fast, we talked about it last week, now that giant observation wheel already rising from the ground next to Union Station, part of a new entertainment district called Penway Point. Public input sessions this week on the upcoming expansion of I-70 if you think construction is bad right now around the metro. MoDOT says it's going to be a seven-year construction zone from Blue Springs to St. Louis. An ugly political battle over housing in Prairie Village back in the headlines, a judge strikes down a citizen petition effort that would have limited new apartments in the city, but greenlights a November ballot measure limiting the power of the Prairie Village mayor. If we're stopped by police, we all pray for a warning rather than a ticket. So did you see this story? Lawrence police now issuing repair vouchers instead of tickets to drivers stopped for such things as broken mirrors and taillights. It's been funded by a national non-profit called Lights On, which wants to stop drivers having their lives upended because of small equipment failures like a burned out light bulb. All righty, Chris. 
Cats? Did you pick one of those stories or something completely different? I did. I thought I think the Prairie Village story is is really worth watching moving forward. A judge saying no to two ballot initiatives, saying yes to a third, and uh, the possible changes to city government that could happen if voters say yes. And nobody seems to want apartments. We saw Shawnee is right. also this week rejecting a measure for a huge apartment complex as well. Eric, what did you put down? I, pay, I had two. Chris Jones, give that man his money. <laughs> pay him. It's we just need him. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's All what right. he said. And also, uh, Kansas City Public Schools were getting feedback from the community about levies and what those levies increases it would mean for Kansas City Public Schools. Thank you. Peggy Lowe. I think we become really callous in watching Missouri politics on um, how terrible the headlines always are about social services and the safety net. But a new story came across just yesterday on the Kansas City Beacon by Meg, Meg Cunningham. And she reports that the state's Maternal Mortality Review Board found that homicide was the third leading cause of death for Missouri moms. Black women made up 75% of those deaths. I mean, that's just appalling. And that was just from 2018 to 2020. So that's just another story that drops, I think, in Missouri, and we don't pay a lot of attention to. Absolutely. Dave. The partisan feud in Johnson County, Kansas, continues with the uh, county uh, commission uh, split badly on a number of issues, including closed meetings and, and the sheriff's department and other things. We need to keep an eye on the continuing politicization of a commission that used to be relatively nonpartisan. It isn't that way anymore. And on that, we will say our week has re been reviewed, courtesy of KCUR's Peggy Lowe and Channel 9's Chris Ketz, from the helm of Next Page KC, Eric Wesson, and former star news icon, Dave Helling. <laughs> now, some people ask, what do I do when I'm not doing this show? I, 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 yeah, I work more than 30 minutes a week. Well, for the better part of a year, uh, we've been working with my colleague Michael Price on a new documentary you can see next week on the business of aging in Kansas City. We would have no idea what went on with Dad had we not had the cameras in there. We go inside one of Missouri's private pay long-term care facilities. I didn't want her to have to spend another day with people that were not sympathetic to her. And is the care any better in a publicly funded nursing home? And so if I hadn't been here, it would have been one more night that she not only would have been in pain, but she also would have been hungry. And I'm just not sure that it would have been addressed. There are reams of regulations, but are they being adequately enforced? What residents often tell us, I wish I would have died than to live like this. And as more of us want to age in our own homes, how accommodating is your city? There are a number of different challenges with the sidewalks. We're trying to catch up. Is it possible to grow old in America? Right out right here. With dignity. We also had a real safety issue at play let alone all my concerns around her dignity, cleanliness, hygiene. Please, I am begging you for the safety of these residents. Investigate this facility. You can watch um, How Should We Care next Thursday night at 7 on Kansas City PBS and stay with us immediately afterwards for a town hall on the state of aging in Kansas City. We'll see you then. I'm Nick Haynes from all of us here at Kansas City PBS. Be well, keep calm, and carry on.